with me. I really appreciate it. Lord, we ask you to bless this time and the word. Lord, we love your word. We thank you so much for your word. And we ask you, Lord, that you would come upon me and just anoint me and speak through me the word of the Lord and glory and power and strong anointing. And Lord, I pray that you would give us all good fertile soil of hearts and minds for the word of God. Anoint our eyes to be able to see, anoint our ears to be able to hear that we have eyes and ears of the spirit. And Lord, that this word will go out as living seeds of truth that's sown into good soil, that's made ready by the Holy Spirit and watered by the Holy Spirit and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, help us to get some deep roots about us in the word and have be on a firm foundation. And Lord, I pray that this word will go out as, as light shining and dispelling all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy and bring truth and revelation let your word go out. Let there be the washing of the water of the word. Or that you would cleanse. And Father, I pray that your word would be like a powerful hammer that breaks through every stronghold, every deception, and a sword that penetrates where it needs to go. Let the winds of your spirit carry this everywhere it's supposed to go and accomplish what it's supposed to do. And Lord, we thank you for it. We pray. The Bible shows us about the birds of the air trying to steal the seed. Lord, we take authority and we bind up everything of the enemy that would try to hinder or steal the seed of this word anywhere it needs to be. We bind the enemy and command he will back off away from it in the name of Jesus. Lord, that your mighty angels watch over your word and make sure that it, it's accomplishing what it's supposed to. And we stand on the promise that, Lord, your word will not return void. It will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And, Lord, we thank you. For hearing and answering this and everything being accomplished in and through this time that your will be done we all agree together and we ask you to do it lord let it be established from this moment forward in jesus name amen lord speak through me everything that needs to be spoken all right so i've been doing a series um what brought revival and i love man i love revival and really all revival is is just book of acts christianity it's sad if you think about it, it's sad that we constantly need revival. Why aren't we just living out biblical Christianity? Amen. Why aren't people just getting saved? Why isn't the power of God among us like it should? Why isn't there more healings and more deliverances? So I love revival because revival is just God reviving and bringing things back the way it needs to be in the church. And so God's been moving real powerfully here for some time. And he laid on my heart to preach a series. And so I'm on part five. I'm going to deal with persistence tonight, okay? Now, I've covered a lot of ground with this. So if you haven't heard these, you need to go back and hear them. But we talked about the pattern, the tabernacle pattern of the way we're doing our services and, and different things that we've discussed about the power of the blood, etc. But tonight, it's just going to be mainly about persistence. And there has got to be a persistence, Okay? So the first thing I would say is this, there's got to be a hunger for more. You're never going to see anything beyond where you're at until you're hungry for more. And people have got to get so hungry that they become desperate and broken. You know, the Bible says the Lord is near the brokenhearted. And so there's got to be a desperation and once people get hungry and they get desperate for more than what they have, then they're going to really begin to pursue the Lord, to go deeper in Him. 
So first off, I, I'm going to say this, there's got to be a hunger, but then I'm going to say about a desperation here in a moment, because a desperation has to do with being willing to change. Now, I need to talk about that, but let me say this about being hungry, number one. Let me give you a quote. Now, Steve Hill was used real powerfully at Brownsville, we remember that. He's since gone home to be with the Lord. But Steve was known for this quote. And I was able to spend some time with Brother Steve. And, and I would say, I'd be very comfortable saying that this quote really was his heart for God, okay? This is what Steve was known for saying. He said, a man's de desperation for the things of God should melt away all preoccupation with self, notoriety, public image, or social status. Your hunger and thirst, if it's genuine, will drive you to eat and drink regardless of the opinions of others. You will be willing to look like a fool in the sight of others in order to be embraced in the arms of the Lord. And I, I really believe that that was Steve's heart from everything I saw about him, a desperation. So first off, there's got to be a hunger. There's got to be a hunger. Too many people have gotten comfortable where they're at. There's never going to be change until somebody gets hungry. And there's got to be preaching that stirs up a hunger in people for more God because too many people, too many ministries out there are just kind of comfortable in their social club. There's got to be a stirring up, a stirring things up, a hunger. And the second thing I would say is if there's a hunger, it will lead to a desperation. And a desperation will be, will be where people begin to be broken before the Lord and willing to change. Let me say this. I want everybody to look this way and give me your best ear. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. There was a particular woman years ago that, that I knew that, that used to come around and, and, you know, we ministered to her. And she would come to me and she would be speaking about things in her life and it was just all always so negative. You know, it was, it was grumbling, it was complaining, it was whining, it was negative. And she would speak curses over herself, over her finances, over her health. She was just negative, negative, negative. And she would sit there and do that, and I would interrupt her at some point, saying, I'll listen. And I would start talking to her about, you need to be careful about this negative attitude. You need to be careful about the way you're thinking. You need to change that. You need to change the way you're talking. Nothing's going to change in your life until you stop talking like that. Quit cursing yourself and quit cursing everything in your life and start blessing. And I would sit there and talk to her for two, three minutes straight. And she'd just be looking at me. And then I would stop talking and she would pick up mid-sentence doing the same thing. And just keep on and on. She never changed. This went on for a year. And finally, she had gotten so frustrated with herself that she, you know, started trying to blame me or something for her problems and started being divisive. And I had to talk to her, and she's not here anymore. Anyway, the point is that she was never willing to change. When I knew her, I hope she is now. See, when people get desperate and they get humble and they get serious with God, they get to a point to where they're not just wanting their circumstances to change. They get so desperate with God and broken 
that they'll get on their face and they really want God to change them. And when they get to that place where they're desperate and they're desperate to change, that's going to be when things really start happening in their life. But until somebody gets to a place of desperation, if people go on and they have these stubborn things and, and they're frustrated with their life circumstances, they're frustrated in different areas and they feel that they need God to come through about this, that, and the other, but until they're really desperate enough to get on their face and get real and get serious and say, you know what, I'm going to quit all this business about grumbling and complaining. <coughs> Let me say that again. I'm going to quit all this business about grumbling and complaining, grumbling and complaining against the way God's running my life. I'm going to quit getting upset with God because I think God needs to do things different. I'm going to quit acting like that. I'm going to quit blaming everybody else for my problems. I'm going to quit being, you know, some people are in so much bondage to the enemy that they can't even hardly sit and submit themselves and listen to preachers without just sitting there being critical and judging and negative and just, they're in bondage. But they're going to have to get to a place to where they get on their face and say, God, I'm going to quit acting like this. Forgive me for being so prideful, being so prideful against you and blaming all my problems on everybody else when really, truthfully, I'm the problem. Forgive me and change me. Do a work in me. When somebody gets that desperate, you watch. Things are really going to start changing in their life, but it's going to begin in them. Then it'll be their circumstances in life that change. But it's going to have to start in them. There's many times the reason why people's circumstances are the way they are is because of themselves. They just don't know. And you've got to be willing to be humble and to be desperate, but also be willing to be different. Because if we're all just going to be just like everybody else, then we're just going to see the same results everybody else is seeing somebody has got to say, okay, I'm willing to go against the grain and believe God to come down and do something, to see people saved, to see healings, to see the supernatural, to see God move, be willing to preach sermons that aren't popular, but it's the truth, be willing to be different than the norm. But you have to understand, anytime somebody's going to be different, what's going to happen? There's going to be a level of persecution about that. But let me say this again, just reading Steve Hill's quote. If a man's de desperation for the things of God, it should melt away all preoccupation with yourself, with your notoriety. In other words, your public image, your social status, your reputation, what people think about you. People are going to sit out there and judge you and all that. Who cares about any of that anymore? All you want is just you're desperate for God. You're hungry for more. This is a major prerequisite for revival. Somebody's going to have to get desperate. And I remember just, I'm just flowing tonight just with the Holy Spirit, okay? I don't have a lot of notes. But you remember John Wesley back in the day, mid-1700s. Wesley's father was a pastor. And he was, you know, just a good Anglican kid, grew up. And, and, and the thing was, even in his own church, where his father was a pastor, here's what happened. Wesley grew up being raised correctly. His mother was, was um, strict in a good way. 
And they, you raised them to have manners, you know, to be men, to be responsible. You know, they had chores, they were disciplined, etc. And she raised them right, and Wesley was a good man. But Wesley, even though he was a good Anglican, a good man, a religious man, he was on this boat sailing down the sea, and he was with these guys that were Moravians. And the story behind the Moravians, I'll say this real quick, make it long thing, really short. There was a man named Count Zinzendorf, okay? And he was a very wealthy man, and God really moved on his heart that there were some Moravians that came over, and um, this Count Zinzendorf, he felt to give them some land that they could, you know, uh, live there because they had been kind of in a refugee status from where they came from. And he was a good Christian man, and the Moravians, when they first started living together, there was a lot of infighting and problems. And Count Zinzendorf met with the leaders and said, look, man, we got to stop all this. And, and they took the Lord's Supper together and they prayed and the Spirit of God began to move. And those Moravians began to feel called to prayer. And so they began, just as the Holy Spirit was leading them, to have 24-7 prayer in shifts different people be praying guys history records this went on for a hundred years and those Moravians we still have a place up in the Carolinas called Moravian Falls and those Moravians they prayed they had these shifts of prayer and because they were such a people of prayer the Spirit of God was moving so mightily in their midst they began to have a deep revelation of the Lord of salvation. And they began also to have a burden for souls. How many knows when the Holy Spirit's really moving, one of the things that's going to happen is, is you're going to have a genuine burden for the lost. So somebody says, we're having revival, whatever, and they don't care about people getting saved. They're really not. Okay, the, one of the main characteristics of a true move of the Holy Spirit is you have a burden to see people saved. So the Moravians did, and they began to send out missionaries. Well, some of these missionaries were on this boat with Wesley. And Wesley had grown up in church his whole life. His dad was a pastor. He was a very religious man. But the boat began to go through a very serious storm. And it really looked like they were possibly going to sink. And Wesley was scared to death. And those Moravians, he looked at them, and they were just peaceful. And so he was asking them, what is wrong with you, man? Don't you know that we could die? And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know. But we're ready. And he thought, well, how do you know you're ready? I mean, how do you know? And so they began to explain to him about, well, you know, we're, we're born again. If we die, then, you know, we're out here serving the Lord. We die, we die. And, and make a long story short, they were the very ones that influenced Wesley to become born again. And so Wesley wrote in his diary, and many of you have probably heard Leonard Ravehill talking about this. He said, my heart was strangely warmed. He went from just being religious now to a new birth. And having a real relationship. Well, he goes back to England and starts preaching this. And it didn't go over. 
Even in his own dad's church, he was not allowed to preach. He was so persecuted by the religious institution of that day, which has been in every single generation. There's been a religious institution called the church that is religious and controlled by man. And they've always been the majority and they've always historically persecuted the true church, the remnant, who were the minority. That's always been the case. And they began to so persecute Wesley that Wesley had no choice but to preach out on the streets. And so Wesley would go and he would, a crowd would come, he'd be preaching to him. But you've got to understand, the Moravians had been praying all these years. And God, it was time, it was like the fullness of time for God to really begin to pour out his spirit. And now those Moravians had been sowing to the heavens and sowing in prayer all these years. Now the Lord used Moravian missionaries to see Wesley get saved. And now it was time for revival. And the Spirit of God began to be poured out in the first great awakening. And Wesley, John, and his brother Charles, they were used on the streets, and they saw no telling how many people come to know Jesus. Around that same time here in the a little British colony known, the Ameri known as the Americas, okay, here, um, God really moved upon Jonathan Edwards as a pastor. And he was in the New England area, and he preached from his pulpit a sermon God gave him called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he just wrote the sermon out as God gave it to him. And he just sat there in a monotone voice, obeying the Lord, and just read it. But the Spirit of God fell so hard in that church that people, it said, were gripping the pews because they were afraid that they were going to fall into hell right now. And the Spirit of God began to move. God raised up a man named Whitfield, okay? And he was a great evangelist here, but it was just a time of a great revival. But it was by the Spirit of God that, that the Lord began to do these things. It, it was only by His Spirit. This is not something that man could have done. And during those days, because the Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully, it was not uncommon for somebody to be going down the road and just see somebody on their knees on the side of the road and they're like, what's wrong with you? And they said, I don't know, but I need to get right with God. It was just the Spirit of God just came down. So how do we get to a place where we see this in our generation? Well, first and foremost, God is God. God's going to move when he wants to move. You can't control him. You can't do that. But at the same time, if people will really get a hold of God and pray, God will answer your prayers. And that, that leads me to this point. Charles Wesley, who lived in the mid-1800s, he led the Second Great Awakening. And he was up, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he was up in the Rochester, New York area. But he was, he was up in that area of New York. And, and Finney was a man of great, a great man of prayer, put that way. And he knew prayer was so powerful and he had a guy with him named Brother Nash that would always really pray and intercede. And Finney believed this with all of his heart. He believed that revival was not something that would just happen on its own. But he said, if, it's just like this. He said, if you go out 
and you plow the ground and you plant seeds in the ground and then you water them, he said, you can have confidence that the harvest will come up. And he was saying revival is that way. He said, if you'll really get a hold of God and pray and believe, he said, then revival will spring up. Okay? So that was uh, Finney's heart was to see a great revival, and he did. People were so convicted in Finney's meetings, he would go from town to town and preach, and, and one guy said that there was people that while Finney was preaching, you got to understand, once the Holy Spirit starts moving, things now are happening that are beyond anything that man could ever do in their greatest endeavors. I said this before the recording earlier, but it, it, it's not going to make one bit of difference you know, about how good-looking somebody is, their charismatic personality, how cool they are, how good the worship is, how whatever, the decor, none of that will ever matter. When God really begins to move, lives will be totally transformed. And it was said in Finney's meetings that there would be grown men. You have to understand these are farmers and ranchers. I mean, tough, manly men that would begin to weep and their whole bodies would be convulsing because they were weeping so hard. Some of them would be in a seated position under the Spirit of God and fall on the ground in, a, in a, like a fetal position, fall on the ground and just be just sitting there groaning. And these people didn't know how to pray. They were just under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so Finney actually had to have people that would help him um, go and, and help these men up and bring them down to where he was in the front and he would go through and lead them all to Jesus. And Finney was the one, this was really something he pioneered, but he pioneered altar calls. They weren't really before his time. And he would preach and the conviction would be so strong and he would have people come up to give their life to the Lord. So what marked great revivals of times past? People that would pray and be persistent in their prayers. I think about James chapter 5 where it talks about the Amplified said the prayers of a righteous man make tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working. But if you read it in Amplified, I believe it says something like the continual, that heartfelt, persistent prayers of the righteous. It's people that are hungry, that are desperate, that are going to press in for more. God's always had a remnant in the earth down through history that sought him, that knew him, and really went after him. So here's a couple things. To see revival come, number one is persistence in prayer, fasting, and weathering the warfare. Remember in the days of Elijah the prophet, Elijah had been somebody that had prophesied that the heavens were going to be brass. It wasn't going to rain because of the days of Jezebel and Ahab. It was a judgment. And this happened for about three years. And then Elijah came back and he prayed again. Or rather he told Ahab, he said, you better mount up and go to Jezreel because it's about to rain. So Ahab takes off. But anyway, Elijah goes and he begins to pray. But it doesn't just say that Elijah just casually say well Lord let it rain and then walk off the Bible records that Elijah put his head down 
between his knees and he began to really earnestly pray. And he asked his servant that was with him, go tell me if you see any clouds or anything. And he came back and said, I see nothing. He did, this happened seven times. Elijah's just sitting there in this position. He's rocking. He's really praying. And then the seventh time that the servant went, he came back and said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand beginning to appear. And Elijah said, well, that's it. We got the breakthrough, you know. And, of course, the rain came. But it, Elijah understood that it's not just this casual thing. It's not something that's flippant. That's why you're seeing in River of Life, you're seeing that the Holy Spirit's been moving to come powerfully upon intercessors and you hear the sounds of groaning and travailing and deep intercession because that is biblical. It is, it's a birthing. I think about the Apostle Paul that said, you know, I'm again in the pains of childbirth till Christ be formed in you in the, to the Galatians. He understood what Elijah understood, that there had to be this persistent prayer to see revival. I'm not talking about, please hear my heart because I don't mean this critically. I'm not talking about another social club. I'm not talking about another little religious thing. I'm talking about heaven coming down, heaven invading earth for real. And you're seeing people that nobody would have ever thought would get saved, get saved. Where you see hardened sinners. I mean, people that, that people, others gave up on a long time ago that are broken and weeping. It's going to take persistent, heartfelt, continued prayer that's going to have to be from the Spirit. I mean, it's a deep cry unto God. And that's what God's been doing in River of Life for some time. But I remember when this broke out at Brownsville, you have to understand... I was there and I saw these things. And I saw people that were running. They weren't walking. They were running down, down the aisle to get saved. And you could tell because I was watching night after night that I was there and all the times I saw this. You would see people throughout the, the hundreds that came down that you could tell that they came right off the streets. I mean, these were heathen. These were not all you know, nice dressed religious folk that are just walking down there bowing their heads up. These are people that didn't know God. They didn't know church. They didn't know church lingo. They didn't know nothing about God. They ran down there desperate and you would hear, they didn't know how to pray. You'd hear them weeping and wailing and groaning and, and it was people that were, were dressed like they just literally came off the streets. And sit down in the carpet there, they had to end up replacing the carpet at some point. And uh, they cut pieces of it and gave it to people because, like Steve and others, but they, there was literally all these tear stains you could see on the carpet down there. You, night after night, hundreds and hundreds more and hundreds more and hundreds more, year after year. I mean, there were stains, tear stains in the carpet. And these were people weeping, just wailing. They were in the presence of God. And I remember reading about uh, the story of the Hebrides. Brother Zach did a really good job teaching on that, by the way. But there was the Isle of Hebrides had been a religious place, but there was a generation that started coming up that didn't know the Lord. And these two elderly ladies that shared a cottage, I believe one of them was, was pretty much almost blind, but they were quite elderly. But they had such a burden for the generation they saw young people coming up that didn't know God and they began to really pray 
and they begin to tell a pastor, you know, you really ought to start praying. And, and, and God began to move on these people's hearts. There was a pastor that, that there was a barn in, in Barva. There was a barn where about a dozen men from a church came and they just began to pray. The pastor came and prayed. And those two elderly ladies were in their cottage praying. And it was in that barn that one of the men, because it had been really dry, when you first start praying like this, it's going to start probably dry. You're going to have to really persist through it. You know, we've persisted through it now to where it's, it's pretty powerful, but there was a time that it was hard to pray. But anyway, these men, it was dry, and, and this man, the Spirit of God really began to move upon him about the book of Psalms. I'm sorry, I don't have the notes in front of me, but it was the Psalms that said, Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to vanity or idolatry. And he began to read over that, and he began to say, Lord, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And he began to share with the other men, if we really, are we really right? We're praying for a revival. We're praying that God get a hold of the younger people, but are you right? Am I right? And they began to really get on their face and repent and let God do a cleansing in them. And history records that the Spirit of God really began to move in that barn. And those two elderly women were really praying and seeking God, and God told them, Send for Duncan Campbell, who was just an itinerant minister. And somebody sent for him. He said, no, I won't come. I'm, I'm booked. I'm busy. And the elderly women were basically saying, look, we heard from God. You're coming. And not only that, but you're going to be here at such and such time. And he came. And in the, when he came and preached, the first service was a little dry until the Holy Spirit fell. When the Holy Spirit fell, for two years the spirit of God was on that island so strong that people were gripped with the fear of God he said he would be up here in the pulpit and he'd be talking about Jesus and people all over that place would just be under the power weeping and crying and, tr and getting right with God it was just a move of God it was not something that you could do it didn't have anything to do with Duncan Campbell and he was the first to admit it it was just the spirit of God but that comes, you know why that came? Because those two old women in that cottage that got a hold of God and that pastor and those, those, those men that were in that barn and got on their face. What does the Bible say? If my people call by my name, what will humble themselves and will pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. God heard them and he came down and healed that island. He healed that land. And the spirit of God was so strong that people would flee from, from dance halls and flee from barns and, I'm sorry, uh, bars. And, I mean, they were, they were really repenting. And it was sad because there was a handful of people that were so evil and so resistant to the Holy Spirit that they literally had to move and leave the island because God was everywhere and they couldn't stand it. Is that not true? Brother Zach will tell you, he read up on it. But there was a great revival. But see, it started with a cloud the size of a man's hand. That, that people got a hold of God and they prayed it through. So you've got to keep, a prayer, got to keep prayer a focus. And I'm going to tell you something else in River of Life. It's not only been consistent prayer. You know, listen, you've got to be willing to go through some stuff. I've had people down through the years that have tried to tell me you need to do this. And they've tried to 
control everything from the worship to to the way we pray to uh, in the way I fast they try to get me to do this that, and the other and trying to tell me this tell me that and I love everybody but I'm not going to be controlled by anybody either and this is what God's calls to do and we're about to see it birth it's, it really is we're at a season of birthing about some great things but you got to have these seasons of prayer and fasting so one of the things God led me to do was twice a year and it's connected to the fall, the spring feast and the fall feast that are in the Bible. So before Passover and before um, what's called Rosh Hashanah, really in the Bible, it's Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets. But before those times, we have a season of prayer and fasting. And it's a time where we're really praying and we're, we're corporately praying, we're corporately fasting and getting things right with God. And really seeking the Lord. And I usually make a sheet of things to pray about. We pray about it. But at the end of that fast, we'll have a night where we have a service dedicated to people just deeply consecrating their life unto God. And during that service, you know, we'll really take some time at the Lord's table. My wife and I have anointed everybody with oil and prayed over them. And it's been special. I mean, it's a, it's a unique, powerful thing on those nights. And then we've had water immersion for anybody that wants to come. And, of course, most people that come here are hungry and want to come. And so people come to where we're at. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The glory of the Lord has been in that water. Y'all know. I mean, the glory of God has been in that water, man. And we've baptized people. We've seen people that have been deeply consecrated. We've seen people that have been healed of stuff that have had health problems that went away, I mean, really healed emotionally, psychologically, and delivered from some demonic torment. We've seen it. But what God has been doing is every time that we have these seasons of prayer, fasting, consecrating our lives corporately, we've come out of that going deeper in the presence of God. It's like the heavens are more open. There's an increase of God's presence. People are experiencing a deeper revival personally. And of course, we're experiencing it in a corporate fashion as well. But it's been very powerful. But this is making God's house a house of prayer. See, a lot of people want to make it a house of everything else. And sadly, I think sometimes nowadays it's a house of entertainment. A house of motivational speeches. A house of, you know, your lattes and all these different things. So I'm just saying, I'm not trying to be mean, but I want God's presence and power. So there has to be a persistence in prayer. And number two, there's going to have to be faithful with the basics. I've always said this, and I've had a few people down through the years get mad at me, but I still believe it's true. And I, I can say this to you guys, but nobody needs to come up and tell me how spiritual they are. If they can't even be faithful to God's house, they can't be humble enough to submit to spiritual authority and come to church and be under authority. They can't even be faithful in their tithes and offerings. Well. But you've got to be faithful with the basics. You know, the Bible says if you're faithful with few things, he'll make you ruler over much. But there has to be that faithfulness. To seek first the kingdom and to be faithful with the basics. And, you know, when you dig a well, digging a well is going to take some time. 
you, know, you put the shovel down, you just keep going. I mean, it's going to take some time to get all the way down there to where that water is. And it's those that are going to be faithful. And one of the things God led me to was that we were going to have to be faithful to make God's house a house of prayer, even though not everybody wanted it, and even though we've lost some people over it because they don't want it, but we're still going to make God's house a house of prayer. But I'll never understand that because Jesus said to make his house a house of prayers. I mean, it's right there in the work. But nonetheless, we've had to make it a house of prayer. And number two, you have to be faithful with the little things, including evangelizing is not a little thing. It's important. It's a, it's a big deal with God. But we had to be faithful. And I remember there was a time when I was pretty much doing most of it. And... I was taking people out with me and I was teaching them how to do it and we were going through this, that, and the other and we, I really spent some time investing in different people. And over the years of being faithful, and there was times that once I raised up a few that I was sending them out, is I don't want people to feel like I'm hovering over them all the time. You know how to do it. You'll do a good job. You go do it. And so they were going out, but there were times that there was only a couple people that would go out witnessing. And my daughter remembers these times because she was one of them. And they would, but you know what? They would still see some people saved. And I felt God speak to me, if you'll be faithful with the little. And so we kept doing it, even though there wasn't hardly anybody going at the time. But now, there's a lot more people that are involved in witnessing now. In fact, most people are witnessing. That's in the church, most people. And so we'll go out now. It's not just a once a month, twice a month thing or some special thing. Now after service, we just tell people you get some pamphlets, go in groups and witness. And most people are doing it. But it came by being faithful even when there was only a handful of people doing it. Do you see what I'm saying? You've got to keep being persistent to do it anyway. And while you've got a handful of people, and you've got most people don't care about it, that's the time the devil's trying to tell you to just give up on it and quit doing it. And don't think I didn't feel that way. But God said, be faithful with the little. And we kept being faithful with it. And God kept taking it deeper and deeper. And now we're seeing more people witness to and saved than ever before. And there's a great harvest to come, too. God's just simply getting us ready for even greater things. So a house of prayer and evangelizing, and this is the last thing I want to share is this, that I really believe that this had a lot to do with God's presence being so powerful here. It is connected to the communion table and speaking blessings and giving. You know, let me say this about the giving aspect. I've never been one that preaches a lot on that. I just share what the Bible says to help people out and I've never really had to because where the Holy Spirit's moving and people fall in love with Jesus, it just happens. I mean, people are going to be givers. So I've never felt like I had to really preach a whole lot on that. But, you know, when Derek Prince went to Brownsville and God really touched him there, and he had, Derek had been in the ministry for many years, you know, and had seen great things. But when he was in Brownsville, he said there was a couple things that really stuck out to him. He said one of the things was that he, he opened his Bible and him and his wife would read the Bible together and talk about it every day. But he said when he was in Pensacola and he did that, he said he just saw things he had never seen before, 
there was revelation he had never had before and he realized that they had seen an open heaven over that city through that revival and he remarked about how an open heaven would bring such revelation and also he said this and this is the point I really want everybody to get he said that before the revival broke out there that he found out that the overwhelming majority of people that were in Brownsville were those that were tithers and they were faithful in their giving and he said this he said you know what it makes sense because the Bible says if you'll bring your tithe to the storehouse God said I'll rebuke the devourer what else does it say I'll open the heavens and pour out such a blessing there's not room to contain and so that revival came upon people and I'm just going to say this down through the years I've seen it I've seen it in River of Life where you can have different people that some of whom are great givers and others are kind of stingy and you can see through their the course of their life that things are very different You can see the level of blessings, the level of spiritual blessings, the level of revival, etc., that comes to their house. It, but, you know, I, I believe this. When people really love the Lord, they'll, it'll show up in their giving just like it will in every other area. They'll be faithful to God's house. They're going to have a burden for souls. They're going to want to have a prayer life. Amen? All right, so here's a couple things. God dealt with me about this years ago. In Genesis 14, 18... It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High. Now, remember that Abraham, that these kings that come in, if I remember right, there were four kings, maybe five, I can't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, these kings that come in with their military forces, they attacked Sodom, and they took everybody captive. Abraham really wouldn't have got involved except for the fact that they took Lot with them. So Abraham said, well, we have to go rescue Lot. And so he prayed, think about this, him and his family, not the, the, the region in which he lived, not the city around him and their military, him and his family, go to rescue Lot. And they take on these kings and their military forces. You're not dealing with just one king and his army. There were multiple kings with multiple armies he defeats all of them and Abraham takes all the spoil but he gets um, his nephew Lot and he gives back to Sodom everything that was taken so it was in this context of Abraham having this great supernatural victory that Melchizedek a priest unto God came out to meet Abram and the Bible says that he blessed Abram saying blessed be Abram by God most high so this priest spoke that over Abram he said blessed be Abram by God most high he blessed him he spoke a blessing creator of heaven and earth and then he said and praise be or blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hands then Abram gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek and God really spoke to my heart that if I would begin to take the Lord's Supper with people and I would begin to speak a blessing over them and people that would be faithful in their giving that God would totally change their life because here's what happened. Abram had had all these promises. God had told him when he was at his father's house, if you leave me 
or if you leave your father's house rather and follow me that I will make you um, I will bless all nations through you and I will make you into a great nation all that and here Abraham is or Abram at this time all these years later and he still doesn't even have a son or anything after Melchizedek took communion with him and blessed him and Abraham gave a tenth read it for yourself right after that God began to move in Abram's life God came down and spoke to Abram and he gave him the covenant of circumcision he had him cut those animals and God walked he walked in between those animals and God appeared to him remember that and spoke to him about the future and then it wasn't long after that till God spoke to him about Sarah getting pregnant after he had this encounter here where a man of God and him took communion together what we would call communion today and that man of God blessed him and he gave after that everything that had been promised to him just began to move forward it was like it was on a hold or something but now all of a sudden it just began to move forward and God spoke to my heart if I would begin to do that with people that he would really begin to change their lives and I have heard time after time after time after time. I don't even know how many times. People tell me when they started coming here how they felt like they were, they were growing spiritually so much and God was doing such a work in their life and how much healthier they got, how much more freed up they got from things that were bothering them. And, and, and you know what I'm saying? But it doesn't have to do with a person. It has to do with what God's doing. But see, now they're in a place where they're taking the Lord's Supper. Somebody's speaking a blessing over them. And revival is moving into their life. That's really what I wanted to close out with because I believe that taking communion every week that we come together and me speaking a blessing and that the overwhelming majority of people in River of Life have been givers, tithers, but they also many give above their tithe and first fruits and and, and, you know, regarding the poor, because we've made it available through River of Life that people can give to bless Israel and the poor. And we give out quite a bit that way because people give into that and we give it right back out. And there's a lot that's going through River of Life to that, but I don't want to get into this tonight. But there are some significant blessings about that will come on people that bless Israel. And there's significant blessings that will come on people that regard the poor. Psalm 41. And then, of course, the blessings associated with tithing. And people have been doing that. And I believe it's been very powerful. But I remember, as I was reading this, about deep repentance and consecration and applying the blood, I was reading about Gideon. And Gideon was a man that was not really close to the Lord at all. His family, as a matter of fact, were into Baal worship. And in his backyard, his own dad had set up an altar to Baal and like an Asherah pole and all that. And God appeared to Gideon and said, or an angel did, and said, oh man, a great valor. And Gideon seriously is looking around thinking he's got to be talking to somebody else. And so the Lord spoke to Gideon that he wanted him to do this. Before God could really use Gideon, here's what Gideon had to do. God told him that you have to cut down that Asherah pole and that you're going to take your father's altar to Baal and all of that. And you're going to destroy it. And then, on top of that, that he was going to offer a sacrifice unto God. Where he was going to take an animal. 
and he was going to kill the animal put it on top of that so that now there's blood going on top of all that sin and he was going to basically dedicate his life unto god but god had to bring gideon to a place to where he was willing to repent of all that Baal worship that had been his family and that stuff that had brought a curse now god spoke to him that he was to destroy that but what was he supposed to do now he was going to bring it under the power of the blood so it was canceling out all of that you see what i'm saying then the bible records that the holy spirit came upon gideon and wrapped him up like a garment and the zeal of god came upon gideon and he rose up and led a great victory for israel but god had to do a deep work in his life a deep consecration So that's basically what I want to close out with tonight is about the power of the blood there, the communion table. If people will continue to take it very seriously in your own personal life, as we have seasons of prayer and fasting as a church, but even in your own personal life, if all of us will take it serious to really deeply consecrate our lives unto God and bring everything under the power of the blood and really repent and deal with things, God's going to continue to increase his glory here He's going to continue to increase the operation of the anointing. And he's going to continue to change people's lives. And we've seen great things. But we're going to see much greater in the days to come. All right. So, Lord, we thank you for this tonight. We bless you. And, Lord, I pray that you'll do a mighty work in every life. Everyone that's hearing this. Every, every preacher may be hearing this. Every person that there's a, that there would be something in all of us to be persistent to be really going after God and not care about what others think. To not come under any type of control. How many people are used of the demonic to just sit back and they just criticize and they judge and they're negative and it's demonic. But they're not, we're not going to allow that to control us. And Lord, to really break free from all those things and go after God. But we thank you for it. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just where you're at, I want you to look this way and listen. I believe very strongly in holiness and repentance. Y'all know me. I'm a product of Brownsville. <laughs> and I believe in that. And when somebody first gives their life to Jesus and they're young in the Lord, there needs to be a really good, healthy fear of God. Amen? That needs to go all over you. And there needs to be some good, good repentance there and God do a deep work. And there's a time when you're young in the Lord where there's do's and don'ts and rules. And I understand that it has its place. It really does. It has its place. There's things that God said don't do. <laughs> we just, we're not going to do that. Amen. But as, as we've come into something, this is a deeper thing. But I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to read this scripture to you tonight. This is deeper, and I'm hoping that by the grace of the Lord and the, and the Holy Spirit helping, that everybody will understand this. But God doesn't want us to live the rest of our lives out of our own human intellect trying to figure out God and do this, don't do that. And that's the extent of it. He doesn't want us living like that. That's actually a religious spirit and it's bondage. When you're younger in the Lord, I believe these things has its place because God needs to do a work. But once we start growing up in the Lord, let me show you something. 
The Apostle Paul wrote this, and man, it really, it really touched me when I was reading this. He said, don't you know, brethren, that I am speaking to those who, are, who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. So follow me with this. It's important for somebody here tonight. I really believe it's important. The law has authority over a person as long as he lives. And then he starts giving an example. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's alive. And she, but she's released from the law concerning her husband when he dies. So that if her husband's still alive and she marries another man, she's in adultery. But if he's dead, she's released from the law to be able to remarry. Now listen to this. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Are y'all following me? You're dead to the law by the body of Christ. That ye should, listen to this, this is the King James, listen to what it says. That ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And so there is a death to just legalism, but now the Holy Spirit brings like a union and an intimacy with Christ, but it's the Holy Spirit now that we develop a relationship who will lead us. And there's a parable about this that I could tell a quick story. So let's say there was a man that was wanting to navigate through these, this forest, and so he goes to this office that's set up there and he can do one of two things he can either get a travel guide where he's got a map and he's got to figure it out himself or they said you could pay and you can have somebody come with you who will just take you everywhere you go well he says i just need the map and so he gets out there and he's trying to figure it out himself but all of a sudden it gets dark the storms start coming all these things start happening he can't figure it out. He's trying, but he's frustrated. He's even scared. But that travel guide still came anyway. And he comes up to him and says, Sir, can I help you? And of course, in desperation, he says, Yeah, please. And he says, Well, you need to step over here. And he realizes without thinking about it that he was actually really close to a cliff and he didn't realize it because it was so dark. And that travel guide began to take him now using the map, but the travel guide was helping him understand it. And so in the same way, there's this, this understanding that the Holy Spirit is wanting to be our guide. But we have the Bible, and we, we try to figure it out many times. We try to figure out the do's and the don'ts. We try to figure out the path. We're trying to do it out of our own human reasoning. But if we will simply listen to the Holy Spirit, He's going to help us understand the map. He's going to help us understand how to live, and He's going to guide us. Does this make sense? And so God is wanting us to move from just having some kind of an intellectual attempt at God to actually having a relationship with the Holy Spirit who will lead us in the ways of God. And the Holy Spirit will empower you to overcome. So I've learned that if I get on my face in prayer and fasting and humbling myself and really praying about certain things, that God will reach down and pull out whatever needs to go. But what else? The Holy Spirit now will come live a life through us to help us to overcome and to walk in victory. 
but it's going to be by the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be by your human effort. You think, well, tomorrow I'm going to try harder, and tomorrow I'm really going to do it. And a lot of times you're going to live frustrated because your human effort will never really be quite enough, will it? But if you say, but tomorrow I'm going to yield to the Holy Spirit, and he's going to help me to overcome, then you're going to start noticing change. Humbling yourself, and God will empower you. All right, so let's go ahead and get ready to pray tonight for those that want prayer. I feel the anointing begin to come in here.